Hello, friends. Welcome to Josiah Venture Stories. Gwen Gardner here, and today's episode features one of the seven talks from our annual spring conference that happened back in May. I am so excited to share this teaching content with you. The theme of this year's conference was Missional Beatitudes. After three years of COVID and an ongoing war in Ukraine, you may feel a bit like a passenger on a plane that has flown through some turbulent air or a sailor on a ship that has sailed through a challenging storm. After all the shaking and rocking, you may need to pause and make sure all the ropes are tied down and that your key instruments still work. During the week of conference, we had space to focus back on the core of who we are, and we invite you to join us in this process as well. We asked questions like, Who do we need to be to stay on mission in turbulent times? What key attitudes will keep us on track no matter how difficult the storm? The theme verse for this conference was 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Enjoy listening and I pray this teaching encourages you. Thank you for being on mission with us. Be spirit-filled, and we'll start actually with an extended quote from Hudson Taylor this time from a letter he wrote to his mission members on March 29th, 1892, a few years ago. And this is what he said, the supreme want of all missions in the present day is the manifested presence of the Holy Ghost. Hundreds of thousands of tracts and portions of scripture have been put into circulation. Thousands of gospel addresses have been given. Tens of thousands of miles have been traversed in missionary journeys, but how small has been the issue or the result in the way of definite conversions? Few of us perhaps are satisfied with the results of our work. And some may think that if we had more or more costly machinery, we should do better. But oh, I feel that it is divine power we want and not machinery. If the tens or hundreds we now reach daily are not being won to Christ, where would be the gain in machinery that would enable us to reach double that number? Should we not do well rather to suspend our present operations? and give ourselves to humiliation and prayer for nothing less than to be filled with the Spirit and made channels through which he shall work with resistless power. Souls are perishing now for this lack of power. God is blessing now some who are seeking this blessing from him in faith. All things are ready if we are ready. Let us ask him to search us and remove all that hinders his working by us in larger measure. If any of us have been tempted to murmur, to think or speak unkindly of fellow workers, if light conversation or jesting, which are not convenient, have been indulged in, if we have allowed less important things to take time and attention that God's direct work should have had, If our Bibles or secret prayer have been neglected, let us confess the evil before God and claim his promised forgiveness, carefully avoiding such occasions of weakness for the future. 
And having sought the removal of all hindrances and yielded ourselves up in fresh consecration, let us accept by faith the filling and definitely receive the Holy Ghost to occupy and govern the cleansed temple. Wow. That's pretty powerful words in this present day of 2023, in this present day of missions. And we're asking the question today is, what is the role of the Holy Spirit in a missionary effort? And we're going to start actually by speed reading the book of Acts. So if you've got your physical Bibles, it'd be great if you could use those. If you have an app, just be ready to keep going and follow along with me because we're going to speed read the whole book of Acts with a particular lens looking on. We're looking for the filling of the Spirit and the impact of this filling of the Spirit and just quickly making observations about it as we speed read the book of Acts. Acts 1 verse 8. And uh, actually, we will start in verse, verse 5 because Jesus says, uh, John baptized with water, wait for the promise of the Father, which he says, you've heard from me for John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then Acts 1.8, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So the Holy Spirit gives us supernatural power for the spreading of the gospel message. Acts 2, verse 38. So Peter preaches, many are saved, and as he's preaching to these people who are responding in Acts 2.38, he says, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will get a ticket to heaven, which they will, and you will become part of the church of Christ, which they will, but look at the promise he tells them, but you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, my eager expectation is the next thing that will happen is you'll be indwelt with the Holy Spirit, which is uh, significant that that was his expectation and, um, and, and confidence as he... So the gift of the Holy Spirit is promised to those who repent and believe. And uh, what a, an amazing promise that we get to declare that and pass that on to those that we're challenging to put their faith in Christ. Acts 4, and we have thir- verse 13, but we're actually going to start in verse 8 because here we see Peter has preached and, and uh, many have, have trusted Christ, and, and so he's called before the council. And it's interesting to recognize that this is the exact place, this is the exact place where 50 days earlier he denied Christ. So, so when we think of the location of this, he's being called to speak in front of the high priest. It's the same place where he stood in the courtyard. Now he's in the room where Jesus was being tried, not in the courtyard, and it's only 50 days later. Pentecost, Penta, is 50 days after Passover. So he's in this place where 50 days earlier he's denied Christ, and they say, by what power and what name that you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, says to them, And his answer is so different than what his answer was before. And if you skip down before into verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, 50 days earlier, did it look like boldness with Peter and John? And perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they'd been with Jesus. So we see the fruit of the Spirit gives boldness to believers. And a little bit later on, when they go back, 
and uh, pray. In verse uh, 23, they came together and told the rest of them. And you'll see in, um, in verse 31, they prayed together. When they prayed, the place in which they gathered was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And here's an observation. The filling of the Spirit gives boldness to believers. So you can add Acts 4 and 8 to your notes and also Acts uh, 4.31. Let's continue on, Acts 6, 3, as we're speed reading the book of Acts, Acts 6, 3. There's this problem that some people are being neglected, and the apostles have a lot of work to do, and they're not keeping up, so there's some complaints. It's actually causing a lot of tension in the early church, and the 12 summoned the full number of disciples says, it's not right that we should give up preaching of the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit, and of wisdom. Kind of the first delegation, multiplication of leadership in the early church, and they said, what qualifications will we look for? There were just three that they needed to have good reputation, full of wisdom, and full of the Holy Spirit. Interesting. One of the three qualifications for the the first round of leaders that's pulled into this uh, amazing work of God is uh, they need to be filled with the Spirit. Now, just think about for us, when we write job descriptions, we say, these are the qualifications. We want someone to expand our camps. Hmm, what kind of person do they need to be? Uh, we need someone to take over exit tour. Hmm. We need someone to be on our training team. Hmm. And, oh, they need to be a good trainer. They need to... Uh, do we ever include on that list, we want someone full of the Holy Spirit? And we're actually looking for that, that that's a, a key qualification for effective leadership in the expansion of the kingdom of God. They're full of the Holy Spirit. And you'll find this is also true in Acts 11, as we speed read on, Acts 11, 20. 24, they sent out this man named Barnabas who the hand of the Lord was on him and Barnabas came in verse 23 to, um, uh, to the church in Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and exhorted them to all to remain faithful to the Lord with a steadfast purpose for, and now there's commentary on Barnabas, the kind of leader he was. He's being very effective at, at, at uh, rooting a, a a new church that's very fragile. And they said, this is the kind of man he was. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. So again, just three observations given about him. He was good, he was full of faith, and he was full of the Holy Spirit. Now, when we talk about leaders, do we reflect on, hey, he's, a, he's a good man, full of the Holy Spirit. Do we actually notice that in leaders, commend that, lift that up as a key qualification? They're, they're full of the Holy Spirit. Acts 8, and actually you have in your, in your uh, notes, you have Acts 8, 19. It's actually eight, Acts 8, 29. So that's wrong. Correct that in your notes, Acts 8, 29. So we have uh, Philip, and we have this Ethiopian unit who's coming back from Jerusalem to Gaza, and then he's going to return to Ethiopia, and he's reading his scriptures in his chariot, and the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this, his chariot. So Philip gets really specific instructions about what he's supposed to do. And he follows those instructions, and there's this, you know, you, 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 there's this running chariot and this walking or running Philip, and they just meet at the exact point he's reading the book of Isaiah. Just think of the, how amazing the timing of this is. 
And Philip's instructions cause him to, to intersect the life of a man who's seeking God in such a way that he becomes converted and then goes back to Ethiopia. And, and history tells us that there were many that trusted Christ because of his witness. So the Spirit can give specific instructions that open strategic doors for the gospel. Let's go on to Acts 10. Acts 10, verse 19. So Peter is waiting for lunch. And in the place that he's waiting for lunch, he goes up on the roof at the sixth hour. So it's 12 o'clock, it's noon, and spends some time in prayer. And as he's in prayer, he falls in a trance and sees the sheet coming out of heaven. And then at the end of that, in verse 19, the Spirit says to him this, and as Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise, go down, and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Very specific instructions at a very crucial point in the expansion of God's kingdom where Peter doesn't understand something and the Spirit explains it. So the Spirit can give um, the Spirit prepares responsive people and opportunities for us to step into. He's preparing Cornelius, he's preparing Peter, and he's putting these things together at a key moment that again is a, opens the door of the gospel to the Gentiles. Acts 13, 2. So the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So a, a great group of leaders in a, in a strategic, strong church. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I've called them. So after fasting and prayer, they put their hands on them and set them off. So the, whole, the Spirit identifies and mobilizes key workers into the harvest field. What a, another key juncture that was energized by the Holy Spirit, the releasing of Paul and Barnabas into their first missionary journey. Continuing on, Acts 13, 9 through 10. So they head off and they land on the island of Cyprus. And as they're there, there is... Um, there is someone, Elmas, the magician, who's trying to oppose them and turn the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, away from the message. And you find in verse 9, but Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, you see that in verse 9? Looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And behold, the hand of the Lord is on you. You'll be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell on him. And then look what happens in verse 12. Then the proconsul believed. And this conversion of Sergius Paulus is, is key to opening the door. Then we found out, when we, those of us who were in Turkey, we found out that actually opened up the door for his missionary journey onto the, onto the mainland. Very, very key time. Well, look at what happens he, he had insight into what's going on in the spiritual world. He was filled with the spirit and he could see what was going on in the spiritual world and engage in powerful ways that actually prevented Satan's plan from being accomplished. Insight into what's going on in the spiritual world. Acts 15, 28, as we're speed reading through the book of Acts, Acts 15, 28. Well, there's this issue of what should the Gentiles do. Some of the Jews think that all the Gentiles should follow all the Jewish laws and become Jewish, and this could split the entire church, but you'll, you'll find in Acts 15, 28, they 
came back and said, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden on these requirements that you abstain to what's been sacrificed to idols and from blood, what's been strangled and from sexual immorality. And so they, they, it's like they had this conversation. He goes, Holy Spirit, you know, this is what it seems like to us. And the Holy Spirit said, yeah, it seems that way to me too. He says, we had a really good discussion with the Holy Spirit. And the result is that, that this is the adaptation we need to make for a new group of people. So the Spirit can show us the key adaptations we need to make. And then look at Acts 20, 22. Paul is headed toward Jerusalem and they say, um, he, he, he says, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the, Holy, by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there except the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But he says, I don't, I'm okay. I'm gonna head into it anyways. The Spirit can compel us to go in directions we would normally avoid but he gives us clarity to do that which maybe we and others would avoid. Okay, we just sped read and we didn't catch everything. We just did some speed reading of the book of Acts. Now turn to the person next to you and here's my question. What stands out to you as you reflect on that list? And let me ask you a question. Uh, How important was the, or significant was the filling of the Holy Spirit to the missionary effort that we see in Acts? Now, maybe it's hard to measure the importance, but we could do a little thought experiment that would help us catch its significance. Let's just take the book of Acts and just remove the filling of the Spirit. Here's a lot of good things there. I mean, it's just a couple spots, a little phrases. Let's just remove one thing. Let's just remove the filling of the Spirit from the book of Acts and see what happens. So the disciples don't wait for the filling of the Spirit. A bunch of people gather at Pentecost and they get out there and they preach, but the message doesn't have any power. What happens? And then some put their faith in Christ, but those who put their faith in Christ don't get the power of the Holy Spirit, and now they have to learn to follow Jesus just on their own efforts. What difference does that make? They get called in to stand 50 days later in front of the priest that were so threatening that they actually killed Jesus and in their face they denied them and they don't have boldness. It's not there. They go back and pray to the rest of the, the, the crowd and tell about that time before the priest and they all get scared and they're filled with fear rather than with the Holy Spirit. The Ethiopian unit is traveling back home and he's, he's, he's standing in the chair reading the, the words of Isaiah and he asks these questions that he never gets answered and he just returns home because no one met him. Peter has a great quiet time on the roof and returns and enjoys his lunch because it was good and hot and continues on with the day and Cornelius wanders looking for an answer to his questions and the door is never open to the Gentiles. Well, some Gentiles end up responding and the Jews go, it's obvious that you all need to be circumcised, change your diet, start wearing different clothes, and adopt all our customs. And uh, this is obvious, this answer is obvious, and the adaptation is never made. Paul and Barnabas never get set apart for the work of the ministry. Paul doesn't confront the evil spirit on Cyprus uh, because because that magician is pretty... Nobody knows it's an evil spirit behind the magician. And Sergius Paulus never gets saved. You know, you just kind of go back through and say, Paul doesn't do the things he 
doesn't want to do because he doesn't have the clear instructions of the Holy Spirit to go into those tough places. You, you just th- see that? We just take out this little filling of the Holy Spirit from the book of Acts, and you see how much the story changes? Like the entire story changes. And so the question for us is, what's our narrative? Because if the filling of the Holy Spirit's getting removed from our narrative, how is our narrative unfolding in absolutely different ways than it would if the Holy Spirit was a part of it? And you would say, well, how would it be different? I have no idea. Because isn't it interesting how different each one of these engagements is with the Holy Spirit? He's following his own rules. It it doesn't, Philip doesn't just say, hey, I gotta remember that, you know, every Thursday at 10, I need to go out into the desert and wait for a chariot to go by. No, it's, it's, it's in the moment on time, perfectly timed, absolutely prepared, power from the Spirit, guidance from the Spirit, direction from the Spirit that absolutely changes the trajectory of everything. These are, these are game-changing moves. And so when we remove the Holy Spirit from our narrative, it's not a small thing. We may never know how the story was supposed to unfold or could have unfolded if the filling of the Holy Spirit would have been part of it. C.T. Studd said, we are in hand-to-hand conflict with the world, the flesh, the devil himself. When we are in this, neat little biblical confectionery, confectionery is like shooting lines with a pea shooter. God needs a man or woman who will let go and deliver blows right and left as hard as he can hit and the power of the Holy Ghost. Nothing but forked lightning Christians will count. What he's basically saying is he's saying, we, we There has to be a power to what we're doing that comes from outside of ourselves. Otherwise, these efforts will just be kind of bouncing off of uh, pea shooting with with lions. So I I think one of the questions is, is, so what exactly is this filling of the Holy Spirit? How can we understand it better? So let's let's look on and continue and and, and, uh, just make some other observations about the filling of the Holy Spirit. One of them we've already made, and here's the one, God worked powerfully through people who were filled with the Holy Spirit. There was, a, there was a certain power that was unexplainable even by their efforts or by what they were doing. Uh, here, here's another one. I do want to look at this passage. Though there can be specific experiences of a particular filling, the filling of the Spirit is not a one-time event. Acts 13, 9. So sometimes people say, uh, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And they kind of view that this, you're going to get it and then you'll have it forever. It's like this second blessing or this other level. But one of the things we see in Acts 13.9 is we saw this passage earlier. Saul, who was called, so called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. So Paul's filled with the Holy Spirit. Then go to the end of the passage and we get to verse 52 at the end of the passage. And this is still... In the same flow, it says that there was persecution and they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, drove them out of their district, but they shook the dust off their feet against them, went to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So this is just a little later. He's filled with the Holy Spirit and he's filled with the Holy Spirit again. So this is not a one-time event. It, we need it more often than just once. So it's not we're just gonna, we're gonna be filled with the Holy Spirit and then forever it's gonna be like that. We actually multiple times need it. Now, here's something else that's interesting, and I want you to turn to the passage in Ephesians uh, because we might say, yeah, I want to be filled by the Holy Spirit. I hope it happens. And, 
And we understand that it's something that only God can do, and so because of that, we passively wait for it and hope for it. I, I wish I was filled with the Holy Spirit, kind of like, you know, I'm waiting for the Spirit to come along, and if he doesn't, what do I do? But it's interesting that right here, we have this command to be filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18. It says, and do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled by the Spirit, and that's an imperative form, be filled. And we might, we might read that and go, like, how am, I, how, how am I feeling? This is one of the questions we're going to ask today. If there's something that God does, then what do I do to allow God to do the thing that only he can do, right? I've got a command. We might hear that and say, it feels like a command to be tall. Well, yeah, I'd love it if I was tall, but I don't know what I can do about being tall because that's something that happens to me. So here, this is really an interesting question. Is filling of the Spirit is something that God does, but why am I commanded to be it? So there must be something that I do that allows God to do what only he can do. And that's going to be one of our questions this morning is how can we be filled with the Holy Spirit? And also another important realization is, uh, is we, uh, the command is in continuous form. So in Greek, you can do an imperative that says be filled, that's an aorist, it's a punctiliar, it's a moment, or you can say be filled, that's continuous, and this is in the continuous form. Basically, it could be translated, keep on being filled with the Spirit. Not be, like be saved, which is a point in time, but uh, keep on being filled with the Spirit. So there's a command that is something that I need to actually learn to do as an ongoing Something. Uh, what, what do I do? I think that's one of our, our questions is, is how do we keep on being filled with the Spirit? And then there's an interesting from this passage result. It says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts, giving thanks always and for everything in the name of the Father uh, and in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's, there's actually an interesting overflow of joy and worship and music that comes from the Spirit. And it also, it is interesting that when you look into the past, into periods of revival, where the Spirit's poured out, there's also an outpouring of music. People write music, which is interesting. There's, there's new songs, there's musical expression, there's an outpouring of praise. It results itself in praise. So it, not only is there boldness, but there's an overflowing of gratefulness, of praise, of music, of worship, and even a submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. It changes our relationships because we get properly aligned to, to God and there, there's, a, there's a quality to relationships that's different with, when people are filled with the Spirit. Um, they're not lording it over each other. They're not vying for position. They're submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. So this, wow, this, like, this, is something, this is something I want, right? This, this is something you want, something we all want. This is something we want as individuals, something we want together. What brings that? I think that's my question. That sure is your, your question. The first time I, I studied this, I went, okay, there's, there's got to be some, how do I find kind of the hidden truth in this? And so I, I studied Greek in Bible college, and often when you go back to the Greek words, there's just insights that just are not there in our languages. So I, I pulled up and pulled up the word filled in Greek and went, oh, okay, what am I going to find? What does filled mean? 
you know what filled means in Greek? It's pretty exciting. I mean, it's really pretty amazing. Do you know what filled means in Greek? It means filled. <laughs> There's nothing secret there. It's, it's just as plain in Greek as it is. There's not some hidden meaning. There's not a couple words that come together that mean something really cool. It just, it just means filled. Okay, so then I, I went, okay, I'll do a word study and find all the uses of filled in the Bible, and there'll be some insights for me. And, and you know, it talks about filling up people's jars and filling up, you know, different stuff. It just kind of was normal fill. But there was one verse that kind of turned a light bulb on to me that uh, it's in John 12, 3. So take a look at this. A use of filled that was a picture that helped me. John 12, verse 3. Jesus is in the home of Mary and Martha, and Mary took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And for some some reason, that picture, I went, oh, that is a really wonderful picture. What happens when a house is filled with fragrance? So you're, you're around the corner in the kitchen, and you go, what's that beautiful smell? It's not the... It's not the, the eggs burning. There's some of the smell. And you don't see what's happening in the living room. You may not even hear what's happening, happening in the living room, but it gets to you. Like it goes around the corner. It goes there. And you could you know, go way down and behind the couch and that fragrance is there. And it's over here. And you go, how did it get here? You don't know. And you might not necessarily see it, but it's there and you perceive it. And I thought, isn't that a wonderful picture of the filling of the Spirit? And so we're going to, we're going to define it this way. This, I don't get from any particular verse, but I'm filled when his presence, influence, and control permeate every corner of my life. So just think about that perfume filling. You know, it's in this corner. It made around the corner of the kitchen. I've got my back to it, but I still notice it. You know, it's... Uh, I smell the eggs, but I smell the perfume at the same time. It, it just got everywhere. And maybe I go, how did it get here? I don't know. I don't necessarily see it, but it's here and it's changing things. And so in his presence, influence, and control permeate every area of my life. His presence, influence, and control permeate every area of my life. Okay, so, so, okay, that's great. That maybe helps a little bit, it's trying to understand the mystery. So how do I, I gotta be more filled with the Spirit. You know, again, what kind of, what, what am I supposed to do? And we actually don't have a passage that, that really outlines it. So we have to, we have a lot of examples of people who are filled with the Spirit. We have a lot of evidence of what filling the Spirit does, but we kind of have to look in and, and just do a little observation and say, what's the, what's the repeating pattern? And we have to do a little sleuth work because it seems like that they just knew and said he was filled with the Spirit. Well, how did you know? Well, it was just clear. He was just filled with the Spirit or, or uh, be filled with the Spirit. Well, how am I supposed to do that? Well, it's clear. Well, what, what, is, what is that clarity? What could, you, what could you do? Well, actually, what, as, we, as we look in, we see two things that happen over and over again with people who are filled with the Spirit. And, and here's the first one. The first one is surrender. There's something, that's, there's something that's emptied before something is filled. And let's go back to that quote at the beginning because this is super insightful to, to see 
how Hudson Taylor talks about this. He's, he's going, I want to be more filled with the Spirit. And then he challenges his team. And look where his challenge starts. He says, um, if any of us have been tempted to murmur, see that way down the second, last paragraph, to think or speak unkindly of fellow workers, if light conversation or jesting has been indulged in, if we've allowed less important things to take time, the tension that God's direct work should have had, if our Bibles or secret prayer have been neglected, let us confess that evil before God and claim his promised forgiveness, carefully avoiding such occasions of weakness in the future, and of having sought all the removal of the hindrances and yielded ourselves in fresh consecration. Do you see this? what he's saying here? There's this, there's this preparation. So it's kind of like this. If I have this, if this cup is my, my life, and I say, I want to be filled with the Spirit, I could just start pouring. Or actually, the first thing I need to do is go, what's the space I need to create? How do I, how do I consecrate this cup? Because what you can't see is this cup is actually full of a lot of other stuff. You, know, you can't see this from the outside. But if you look inside and you start pouring that in, well, you know, the Holy Spirit's holy, and there's stuff in here that's not holy. The, the, the Holy Spirit is truth, and there's things in here that aren't, aren't true. There's, there's things that actually the Holy Spirit would not fill because he couldn't fill because there's not space. And he, there's, there's places in here where I'm the Lord, and, and he says he's got to be the Lord. And so if I don't surrender my lordship, then how can he fill a spot where he has, he has to be Lord to be there? And he's not. Um, there has to be, the place has to be holy for him to dwell, and that spot is not. Uh, there's things maybe I'm holding on to. So what I have to first do is I have to, I have to empty. I have to empty before I can be filled. Um, and you find this as you read stories of, of people who talk about the filling of the Holy Spirit. One of those is D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was massively used by God. He uh, preached to more than 100 million people before the, eight, the time of television. Can you imagine that? 100 million people. And it wasn't radio and it wasn't television. They say that uh, over 1 million people trusted Christ through his ministry. But he would say that there was a turning point that happened in a period of time when he was in Chicago. He was at that time uh, preaching quite giftedly to large congregations. He had the largest congregation in Chicago and was doing Wednesday night outreach meetings. People would come in. And one time he was preaching one of these outreach meetings. And he noticed right in the front row, there were two ladies. Their names were Mrs. Cook and Mrs. Hawkshurst. So right here, Mrs. Cook and Mrs. Hawkshurst. And he was preaching and he noticed that their mouths were moving. And he went, why are they, why are they talking while I'm preaching? And so he looked, looked out again and he recognized that they, they actually were praying. And their mouths were moving, they were, they were praying as he, as he was preaching. So he went up to them after, he says, oh, you know what are your names, Mrs. Cook, Mrs. Hawkshurst? He said, thank you so much for praying for the lost that are here tonight. And they said, well, we're, not, we're not praying for the lost. And, uh, and then he said, well, well, thanks for praying for our message that, um, that it go well. And he said, we're, we're not praying for your message. And he says, well, what are you praying for? And they said, well, we're praying for you. Oh, thank you for praying for me. He said, yeah, we're praying for you that you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because it's obvious to us you're not. <laughs> yeah, that's actually what they said. We're praying for you that you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, he took offense at this because he was preaching to the largest congregation in Chicago. And so why would these people be praying that he'd be filled with the Holy Spirit? 
And so he, he just walked away, comes back the next time, he's preaching again, there they are sitting in the front row, you know, like this, they're just praying, they're just praying. He just gets irritated about this, and finally he goes to them and he says, what, what do you mean? They said, we can, we can tell that you're doing this in the power of the flesh and you're not filled with the spirit. And so he says, well, would you help me seek God? Would, would, you, would you seek God with me for his filling? So that, well, that was quite a step of humility to say, um, pray with me to these two ladies who weren't as near as famous as you. He said, uh, they were actually praying. He says, we're praying for you that you might get the power. And so they began to pray together. And this is, his, um, this is his report of that time. He says, my heart was not in the work. I was crying all the time that God might fill me with his Holy Spirit. He says, it was four months of spiritual agony. So this wasn't immediate. And then he says, God seemed to just be showing me myself. I found I was ambitious. I was not preaching for Christ. I was preaching for ambition. I found everything in my heart that ought not to be there. For four months, a wrestling went on me. I was a miserable man. Isn't that interesting? So he's coming to the presence of God to be filled, and God's, wait, we've got to do something first. We've got to cleanse you before we can fill you. We've got to empty the things that, that will not allow my spirit to occupy those places so that my spirit can occupy those places that if there's ambition, how could the spirit occupy space that's filled with your ambition? Um, this needs to be cleansed. And so, um, and it wasn't easy. He says he was a miserable man. Oh, here's the second thing. Seek. And this, actually, we begin to, we begin to see. Seek his filling in prayer and dependence, except his filling in faith. John 7 37, on the last great day of the feast, Jesus took up and says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about his spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as of yet, the spirit had not been given because Jesus would not glorify. So in the context of saying, I want you to have his spirit, he says, you need to thirst, you need to thirst. So you come to him with seeking, with thirsting. And you find this also in Acts where he says, the power is going to come upon you, but what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to wait. And you'll find in Acts 1.14, it says that the believers were all together and they were waiting in prayer and expectation. So there's this, there's this waiting, there's this coming to God. To, and, and someone said, you know, the first thing we've got to do is open. I didn't get it all out. But um, to be empty... But then you actually just can't sit here and go, you know, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, or, you know, kind of waiting. You actually have to get the cup under the stream of water, if you could think this wonderful Yamnitsa from Croatia, bubbly water, it's great. There's a, it's, it's ready to pour, but, you know, if it's going like this, I'm not going to be filled, right? I have to come and remain under the flow and wait, and be in a spot, open, receiving of the filling of the Spirit. So there's, there's, there's kind of these two moves, and look at what Hudson Taylor says. He says, let us accept by faith the filling and definitely receive the Holy Ghost to occupy and govern the cleansed temple. 
And Moody talks about in this time of searching, he visited, he visited New York and he was walking through the city and just praying. He says, he just this sense of a desire to be in the presence of God so overwhelmed me that he found an apartment that belonged to one of his friends and rang the doorbell and said, could I come up in, into it? And he came up and says, do you have a room? I've just got to pray. And he went in this room and he, he laid down on the floor and he said, he said um, God uh, filled me with such a sense of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. He says, just overwhelmed with the presence of God. Well, it came from four months of miserable agony. You know, it didn't start there, but there was a sense of, of he, he, as he's under the flow of the Spirit, he's saying, oh, God, you're here. You're, you're with me. I, uh, you, you are filling me. And people who knew him said everything changed after that point. Said After that point, he just didn't care about anything but the salvation of souls. He had this amazing ministry in Chicago, but left it to go to England just for a time of study. And went to the UK and was in someone's church and just doing some studying. And they said, why don't you preach on Sunday? And uh, he got up and he, and he preached. And, and when he got done preaching, he says, uh, if anybody wants to receive the Jesus Christ, sort of the gospel, I want you to stand up. And just all over the room, people were standing. And he said, uh, okay, you didn't understand what I said. If you're really interested in receiving Jesus, uh, go to this room beside here. And he went to another room. And there were more people in the room than had stood up. And he says, no, you really didn't understand. If you're really interested in receiving Jesus, come back tomorrow. And tomorrow there were twice as many people at church than there were the day before. And D.L. Moody was saying, What's happening? I'm not preaching anything different than what I preached before. And there was this outpouring of the Holy Spirit through his life that had been yielded and had been filled. It was hard to explain. He began preaching, and they started inviting him in different places, and then he started preaching in the largest hall in downtown London. And he was filling with 5,000 people every day to come here and preach. So they sent the newspaper editors to, to find out why, and one of them came back and he says, he's overweight, He's uncouth. He butchers the king's English. He says, in short, I see nothing in him to account for his success. And D.L. Moody read and says, that's absolutely right. There is nothing in me to account for my success. It's the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through me. And, uh, and it, isn't that what we all long for? The, the, that, that what we do does not equal what God does through us. <laughs> that there's something unexplainable, like this fragrance, there's this it's something that we can't quite put our hands around, but because we've emptied and we've been filled, then, um, then what's working through us is the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I gave an example of a four-month stretch. Hudson Taylor was saying, you know, go across and consecrate. But remember those examples we read from Acts? Sometimes they were very quick. Paul's walking along. This magician, Elmas, is confronting, and it says, Paul filled with the Holy Spirit. <gasps> Did it. it. It was actually fast. And so one of the things we need to recognize, but in Acts, in the beginning of Acts, they waited for like a couple weeks. So one of the things we have to recognize is you can do this fast and you can do this slow, and sometimes you need to do this slow, and sometimes you need to do this very fast. So Bill Bright actually talks about it as spiritual breathing, exhaling everything that stands in the way. Surrender, cleansing, um, uh, lordship, exhaling and inhaling the power of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes you need a long exhale and a long inhale. Sometimes you need to do it this fast. 
and you speak with boldness. And you confront evil spirits. And actually, maybe that was a longer one. You solve problems like how do we adapt things to the Gentiles? And here's one of the things that I wonder. What if we were more conscious of stopping to breathe before everything we did? And seeking the filling of the Spirit and actually everything. So, before you open your mouth, someone asks you a question and you go, here's the answer. And then you give them the answer. Like, I surrender, Jesus, I need you right now. Fill me with your spirit. Give me what you want to say. And they might not even notice that you breathe before you spoke. Before you teach. Something I try to do, sit down in the front. I need to breathe before I teach, right? I need to cleanse and empty and say, guys, is there anything I need to confess to you? Any, anything that's not in your hands, anything that stands in the way of me being used of you this morning, fill me with your spirit because I want this to be more than just my words. Before you recruit new workers, God, who are you calling? Before you respond to a problem, God, what's your solution? Before you fill your schedule, is there any chariot running by right now that you need me to catch that I would totally miss if I didn't give my day to you and ask you to fill it? Before you make a directional decision, is everything in your hands? Am I clean before you fill me with your power? before you choose a leader. And you know, people around you might not even see that you stopped to breathe. They might not know. They might not know that D.L. Moody rang that doorbell and ran up to that room. And they might not know that something happened really quickly. But observing it, they will see something more than just your activity. They'll see the power of the Holy Spirit working through you. So we're going to just stop and uh, practice this right now. We're going to do this right now. We've been a whole week. We've heard lots of different teaching, but all that would just, you know, that's all great. But without the filling of the spirit, the narrative by sure, for sure is not complete. So I want you to just stop right now and just say, and let, and let the spirit guide you in that process. He'll help you with your weaknesses. Say, spirit, guide me. And what do I need to exhale right now? Is there anything I need to confess? Is there anything I need to surrender? Is there anything I need to give up? Is there anything I need to turn over? Is there any space I need to create for you? And and let the Spirit guide you. And then say, what do I need to receive? Is there forgiveness I need to receive? Is there cleansing? Is there truth? Is there power? Do I need to kind of say, I let you into these spots? Kind of just open up and, and... and let him fill. And, and if you want to, you might not want to, but if you want to, you could even write that. Sometimes when I'm in sections like this, I actually like to write some things so that I don't forget what the Spirit's telling me. So you could just, you could just write your exhale and write your inhale, or if you don't want to, don't. But let's just, let's just stop and breathe, right? Stop and breathe and ask God for the filling of the Spirit for our missionary efforts. Let me just pray for you, and then I'm going to give you some other instructions. Uh, Spirit, thank you that you're here. and You're always here. Sometimes we're just not aware that you are. And I thank you that you do indwell us because we put our trust in Jesus. And we have you, but sometimes you don't have all of us. And so we want you to have all of us be permeating every 
area of our, our lives. And so just today, we, we again offer ourselves up as living sacrifices. As we're open. We want to be used and filled by you. And uh, Father, I, I pray that you, you'd seal what you're beginning to say to each of us and continue it as well. And we just thank you for your quiet voice and your amazing power and your loving presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Josiah Venture Stories. For more information about who we are and our vision and mission, visit us at josiahventure.com and follow us on social media. If you have any questions about this episode or like to get in touch with our guest, please email social at josiahventure.com. To help more people hear about this podcast, please leave us an honest written review or share this episode on your social media. Thank you, friends, and have a blessed day.